Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. Good to see everyone here today. Thanks for celebrating with us. We, Tam and I were away last week and um, missed being with you. We were worshiping with another church family, but afterwards we had connected with some people there in that church family. And I was just hit again with the reality that church is not an event, it's a family. And um, family that spans all over the world and, and across time. But um, the moments that we get together, to be together as family, it's a gift. And thankful for each of you and this chance now that we get to celebrate here in this season, the, uh, the coming of our Lord. And we're, at the, we're starting a new Christmas series called What Just Happened, and we're going to be tracking with this through Christmas Day. And so uh, we'll take a break from our, we've been working our way through James. We'll pick that back up in January, sweet sanity, and carry on there. But imagine someone close to you, uh, someone who you just know very well, text you this afternoon. And, they, and the text is this, you will never guess what just happened. And then the next text is, can we meet up? And you're like, yeah, sure, when? And they text back, now. And you're like, okay. And they text back, I'll, I'll see you in 10 minutes. And you, the final text you send is, can you give me like a hint? Is this good news or is this bad news? And they text back, crazy good, crazy good news. So now you have 10 minutes to just ponder and think, uh, and you are coming up with all kinds of hypothetical, what could possibly be so good that we need to meet right now? Crazy good, crazy good news. Well, when they show up and share with you that good news it blows every category of hypothetical you had established. It's above and beyond. Such is the wonder of Christmas. And one of the, the dangers with being familiar with Christmas and celebrating it every year is it becomes kind of white noise to us. The, the wonder and the, the glory of it can become, um, oh yeah, I know that. And the curse of knowledge can, can hit us in that area. And so as a family, we want to just again bask in the wonder of Christmas this season, and the prayer is, Lord, would you help us see it afresh, what just happened when Jesus came into our world, and then as that hits our soul to move us to our knees in worship, and we, we've, the hope is we will fill this season with worship, the likes of which um, we never have, you know, and that he is worthy of, and, and worship, what's neat about worship is it's not a means to some end. Worship is our, the end. It's why God created us to, to reflect his glory and to worship him and, and enjoy. And in that, he is glorified. We, are, we come alive. And so that's where we're headed this season. Most of the time, we will be in Matthew's account of the, the coming of Christ. But today, we're going to start with the account of John. And if you would, imagine you're in John's shoes you're getting on in years. You're almost, you're seeing the finish line coming. You're one of the last of the 12 original apostles that Jesus, the 12 disciples that actually saw Jesus and um, he chose you to follow him. 
over the, it's been about 20 years you've been pastoring a church in Ephesus, so you've been loving, leading the body of Christ there, and now it's clear God is nudging you, and we know scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's nudging you to write an account of everything that you saw and that Jesus taught. And can you imagine sitting there with that blank page and a pen, and here we go. How do you summarize and synthesize all that that Jesus taught for the people that you love and really your legacy of, of this is what I've been teaching and this is what you need to know. We can feel the tension in, in this, the challenge of this endeavor in the, the last words of his account are these words. Verse, uh, John chapter 21, verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. And I just picture bookshelves just all over the world. <laughs> and John's like, there's no way to fully tell you what happened. But we know God led him to a purpose, led by the Holy Spirit, a, a purpose that he verbalizes that helped him filter through what he writes. And it's in John chapter 20, verse 30, where he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, so the things he writes down, they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So with that purpose in mind, that, that it's to, to grow our faith, to help us understand who he is, and to put our trust and our faith in him, that we might receive eternal life, John begins to write, and I ask you, what, what, where would you begin? And what's interesting about John's account is he does not begin where the other gospel writers begin, at the start of the story, which you would think, jump into the, the history of it, and here we go. He pans out, and, and he begins with a big picture and answers three questions up front that we must answer. The first one is, who is Jesus? Second, what did he come to do? And third, what just happened? And, and the answers to these, I... They're worship moments, really. They're, they're, I picture us climbing a mountain, and each question takes us up a little higher on the mountain. We pause at the question, we worship, we go to the next. They build on one another, but the last question is really the summit where we're going to land today, and, and I pray it will be a summit that you can come to throughout the season, just kneel in worship of our Lord. And so, first question, who is Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 1, the, the first section is the first five verses. And uh, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So who is Jesus? He is the Word of God. Now this may seem like a strange description of, of, of our Lord until you understand what John is doing here, and it's a beautiful summary, really. When he says Word, it's the word logos in Greek, and it captures the sum total of the knowledge of God. It, it's... Um, also, it's beyond just his knowledge or his reason, it represents his creative power. And what John is saying is, Jesus is the full expression of the living God. But what we see in him, we see, um, when we see him, we see God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 summarize this as well. It says, in the past, God spoke to us to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. Here it is. The son is the radiance of God's glory, 
the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So who is Jesus? He is the word, but second, who is Jesus? He is fully God. Look there again at verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Important distinction. We see within the Trinity, there's a distinction of persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was with God. But is Jesus fully God? And he wraps this up, and the word was God. I think it is so significant that as John writes his account, he wants us to know this, right up, first sentence in the, the entire account, Jesus is deity. He is not just another teacher or another moral example to follow. He is fully God. But he goes on. He's also the creator of all things. Verse 2 and 3, he says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And you ask, why did, does he include this? Right here at the start of his gospel, he's establishing the reality that Jesus is the creator. He made us, therefore, there's accountability to him. If he is the creator, if he owns us, we are accountable to him. And this will really lay the basis for what will come. Chapter, or, uh, verse 4 there, we see who is Jesus? He is the light and life of every person. So now he hones in on the pinnacle of his creation, which is humanity. We were created to reflect the glory of God. And he says this, in him was life, and that life was the light and the light of all mankind. These are the, the words light and life will be themes that will develop throughout John's account. But the idea is Jesus is the one who gives us life, breath, and we have our breath. Our breath, our life, our existence because of him. But it's possible to be alive and not really alive. You've looked into the person eyes of somebody who hates their life and is going through a hard time. Jesus, that's the idea of light. He brings not only existence, but a thriving existence. Life and light. And then fifth, he is the light that shines in the darkness. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So who is Jesus? He's the light that's coming into the darkness, and what John is doing here is cluing us into the tension in this text, or the tension that he's going to develop throughout the book. Of uh, There is darkness in this world, and as Wes was alluding to, the suffering, the pain, all the brokenness. When John writes darkness, he's referring to the evil that is a result of, of our sin, our fallenness, and, and all the effects of, of what the devil is doing. But there is a light who is shining in the darkness. And this is a word of hope too, isn't it? The, the darkness has not overcome this light. This light dispels darkness. Where this light comes, darkness flees. Where this light shows up, darkness is eliminated and it's happening in real time. Okay, so who is Jesus? We have this summary. Then we ask, what did he do? And John begins from verses 6 to 12, explain, or 13, explaining this. What did Jesus come to do? Verse, verse 6, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he, was, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. So there you see the purpose of, of leading us to belief and faith in Christ. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light 
So who's he referring to here? It's John the Baptist. If you were alive in this day, this John the Baptist was a pretty major prophet on the scene. You, you would know about him. And it's interesting, every time John refers to John the Baptist, he's downplaying him. He's like, guys, he's not the one you want to be looking at. Now, he's sent by God, and he had a great purpose to accomplish, but he always downplays John. Why? And I think there's a mini lesson in here for us. We as humans are tempted to elevate the messenger and lose sight of the Messiah. And he's saying, even today, we, we find that, don't we, where we lift up human people and look to humans is like, oh, wow. And then John's like, no, 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 no. Every messenger is pointing to one. And the messenger is not the point. The point is the Messiah. Lock in on him. Fix your eyes on him. So what did the Messiah come to do? Or what did Jesus come to do? We pick it up in verse 9. The, the, the light, true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own, speaking of Israel, did not recognize him. And so here's the tension again in this text. Jesus came, the creator came, and the world missed him. This is the biggest miss of all time, isn't it? And what will be, it, it, this is a teaser to read on. John will give us example after example of the creator walking right next to the creator and giving him some glory and do you remember the show Undercover Boss where the, you know, the, the big CEO would, uh, okay, say Subway, take an example. CEO of Subway, there's thousands of Subways. All, he would come, put on an apron, and make Subway sandwiches. And then, you know, the, the hardworking employee would, would get, he's right there, and he's giving them attaboys. And then the employee that's just slacking and doesn't really care is like, oh. And there he is. This is the, the greatest undercover boss moment and it, it what we, we want to read this but also we realize this is happening in real time isn't it still the big miss as people miss who Jesus is and what he came to do so it leads us on what what did he come to do and John sums it up here and he will develop this in his book but here it is verses 12 and 13 he says yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become the children of God. And this is the good news that we celebrate this morning, isn't it? Children born, not of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but children born of God. This is the good news that, that we celebrate today. Jesus came offering the gift of, of life, forever with God through faith in him, which demands a rebirth, a, a being born again as we trust in him spiritually, we are reborn into a new family and into a new dimension. What did Jesus come to do? He came to make it possible for every one of us to be forgiven of our sin, to be reborn as his children, to be a child of God to be able to wake up every, each new day and look into the eyes of our Creator and say, Abba, or Father, Dad. And that's what we have through Him. Now, if you're reading this for the first time in the first century, if you're opening up John's account, or today, maybe you're reading it, you haven't um, read this before, what, you're asking all kinds of questions, aren't you? You're like, 
okay, why should I believe in Jesus' name? It, it begs the question, why believe in him? And born again, like, what in the world is that about? And, why? and it makes you want to turn the page. And this is, oh, you talk about a good read. Um, and if you haven't read the book of John, I encourage you to read on. It's one of those you almost can't stop till you get to the end. Precious, beautiful moment after moment chosen by John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help us see who Jesus is and what he did. But I mean, you can get verse, uh, chapter, second chapter. Remember what it is? Jesus shows up at a wedding party and turns water into wine, realizing, all right, he's, he is the creator. He, he can do things with the elements, the H2O, and make them even better, and a new thing is coming in him. Chapter 3, what, what do we get to do? Eavesdrop on him and Nicodemus, a religious leader, and he's explaining, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he asked that question, how? How can I go back into my mother's womb? And he's like, no, 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 it's born of the Spirit. And he explains it, and then summarizes with the precious truth, John 3, 16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And, and the story rolls on. What did Jesus come to do? He came to give us eternal life. We might have the rights of a child of God. So that leads us to the third question, which is what just happened. This is the summit. Now, if, as you study out these first 18 verses, and thanks for, you guys are hanging with us. This is a lot of truth we're covering. It helps. As you go back and read this again, there's three verses you really want to see. There's three thesis verses, verse 1, 14, and 18. These form the, really the, the thesis of what John is trying to say, the big idea of the text. And and so two of them are in this next section and really describe what just happened. And so we'll read through these and, and uh, then we'll sum it up. Verse 14, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the dwelling is the idea of tabernacle. It's referencing the Old Testament, the tent of the tabernacle where God's presence, where he met with his people he pitched his tent among us, and we have seen his glory. It's the, the sea there is, is literal, like we've looked at it. We, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And here we see the Trinity again, the Father with love, giving his Son for us. And what is that glory? It's full, we saw his glory, full of grace and truth. John, speaking of John the Baptist, testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me. So we know Jesus was a little younger than him as well as didn't start his ministry until after John was already up and rolling. But John's saying, he surpassed me because he was before me, speaking of his eternality. Verse 16, out of his fullness, or all that he is, we have received grace in the place of grace already given. And the idea there is, what was the grace that God already gave his people? It was the law of Moses. He'll develop that. But it was the law and the sacrificial system which allowed a, people who were sinful to, to dwell in the presence of a holy God. But that was insufficient. You read the book of Hebrews and we see that a sacrifice was only good, of a lamb was only good for a little while, then you had to do it again. And there was a continual, and it was, not, it was temporary and transitory and insufficient, and yet through Christ, we have received more grace. Verse 17, for the law 
was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now here's the, the final thesis statement. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known or has displayed him or has exegeted him. So what's John's answer to the question, what just happened? As John looks back on his time with with Christ and, and all that Jesus taught them and all that he saw him do, how do you summarize those moments? And here in these first 18 verses, John in essence says this. It can sum it up in four words. We just saw God. (laughs) Now let that soak in. Can you imagine picking up a piece of paper and writing that to the people that you love? I've got some crazy good news. Crazy. This is going to blow every category of good. I got to tell you this. <laughs> if that's true, it changes everything. Everything. Guys, if Jesus, if this is true, there is joy in the pain. There is hope. There is peace in the suffering. If this is true, and if, say, okay, if, I, if you just saw God, then tell me, what is he like? What is he like? And how's John summarize? I'll tell you what he's like. He is full of grace and truth. Can we just pause for a moment and, and uh, think about God? Or think about John and, and uh, the reality that, okay, he's an ordinary guy like us, and he's uh, going about his everyday life, watching Jesus live and, and uh, go about his life, and, and uh, think about the time that, you know, he saw Jesus do what, uh, what he did. He, he was there, but then at the cross... He uh, had to be thinking, what just happened? And Jesus looked at John and and said, hey, take care of my mom. And and, uh, he had a relationship with Jesus and uh, had to be thinking in those moments, what just happened? And and then you come to the the, uh, resurrection and need to think that John was there in the the room with the... uh, the disciples as they're wondering what's our next step and I love in uh, John chapter 20 where he describes the resurrection moments as overjoyed 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 with what uh what he had seen as Jesus is with them and he realizes our king is alive and then John was there with the disciples uh, on the beach John chapter 21 records the moment when they're wondering what do we do next and Jesus meets them he's uh fixing breakfast for them on the beach and just an intimate scene of reinstating Peter back into ministry. And then uh, 40 days later, the ascension, John is there. He sees Jesus go up into heaven. He uh, 
He's with the disciples as they're wondering, okay, as a church now, what do we do? Or as followers of Christ, what do we do? And they're praying in the upper room and the Holy Spirit is given and there's Pentecost. And uh, you think about um, all that John saw and what he was a part of. Now, many years later, he's been watching God work through the church. The, The gospel is going throughout the world. He's seen person after person turn to faith in Christ and be reborn and lives changed and and you say, okay, John, all that you've seen, how do you sum that up? Like, what's the summary of that? And this is what he says. We just saw God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So we ask, okay, what is God like? And this is the the comfort in this text. What is God like? Look at Jesus, and what do we see when we look at Jesus? And John sums it up with two words. He is full of grace and truth. He's full of grace. Grace is undeserved favor limitless kindness. Grace is our creator clothing himself with frail humanity. Grace is the one who deserves our everything, giving up his everything so that we might have all things. Grace is giving us what we do not deserve, what we could never earn, life and life at its very best. Grace is, you think about God's grace, is not just forgiving our sin or the mercy that he had in providing a way to be forgiven, grace is, is giving us a place in his family. Like, he doesn't just tolerate us, but he wants us to be with him. And he treasures us as a child, son, a daughter. So what is God like? Look at Jesus. He's full of grace. He came for us. He died for us. He's preparing a place for us. And he will come again. And one day, we will see him face to face. What is God like? We have seen his glory. He is full of grace and truth. And I love it that uh, he adds truth. Truth is an accurate view of reality. And, and we have, it's one thing to find truth as you're reading it in a book, but to think that truth came alive and stepped out of the page <laughs> and, and was walking and talking and, and said, follow me. You know, when you wonder which way to go, follow me. You take all the big questions of life. Who is God? Who am I? Why am I here? And how does life work? And how do I get through this matrix of of life? And every one of those questions is answered by this. Look and listen to me, to Jesus. Follow me. And what a gift when our pride is deceiving us, when the devil is lying to us, when the world is promising what it cannot provide. And when we're struggling, you know, with doubts and despair and through hard times, wondering which way, and and as humans, we're frail and perspectives are frail, our bodies and minds are frail, and it's hard. But what a gift to be able to hear Jesus say, look at me and to see truth, to lock in on him and follow him. I love later John will say in John 14, I where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
but through me. But what a gift to have him saying, look at me, follow me through the matrix, I've got you. On Thanksgiving morning, I um, popped into church here to pick up a table for our celebration, and as I was walking through the offices, I noticed a flutter coming out of Kyle's office. I glanced in there, and there was a bird just ricocheting around the window in his office, and it was just, this poor bird was obviously panicked and confused, and it being Thanksgiving Day and having no family, I'm sure it was lonely. And so I paused right there and thought, I've got to fix this now. What do I do? And thought, a towel. Where am I going to get a towel in the church, the baptistry? So I came buzzing back here. There was no extra towel, but I found over here a black sheet. This will do. Let's do this. So went back in, found the keys to Kyle's office, and I entered that bird's world whispering, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. Sneaking up on it as it's fluttering it around. I made a mighty lunge, and it flew right by me out the door into the office, and in the office, it went flying through to the point of light, the window, and just started headbutting the window. Bang, bang, bang. So I'm chasing it, and upon reflection, I'm thinking, isn't that a great picture of us left to ourselves? We think we see the light, we think we know the way out, and we're just headbutting life apart from the truth that God's given us. And, but, uh, but I came up on that bird and got him. And what struck me as I grabbed him was, I think it was his heart, just that poor little bird was scared, no, not knowing what to do and how to get away. And what a, a uh, joy to get to walk it out the door and fly, little bird, back to your Thanksgiving feast. And can you imagine what it shared with its family when they asked, you, asked him, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? And, and what, what is that? Grace. Somebody entered his world with grace and truth. Led him to that place of, of true freedom. John's gospel, man, I, oh, I hope today makes you hungry to read it because it is moment after moment of grace and truth where our Lord shows up and there's a human just beating their head up against the glass window looking for life in a way that it's not going to find it and he in his grace comes around them and says, this is the way, follow me. And it's beautiful. One of the moments, John 13, where uh, Jesus, he's been, the disciples have been following him for Three years he's been teaching the way up is, is not to, to elevate yourself, but to be a servant. And yet they're arguing about who's greatest, pride at the, the root of it. And he remember that moment he takes off his clothing, takes on the, the robe of, or the towel of a servant, begins to wash their feet. Grace. Um, <laughs> the creator washing the, the creature's feet. Pride-infested hearts, and he's caring for them, loving them. But what comes after that, verse 17, and... and it's not just grace, it's truth, where he says, now that you've seen me do this, live like this. Now that I, your leader and your teacher, and we know a creator did this, this is how I'm calling you to live. And if you will, do you remember the promise he gives? If you live like this, you will be blessed. Moment after moment throughout John's gospel. So if you were to ask John, as, as you consider the coming of Jesus and the life of Jesus and, and all that, that you saw and witnessed, what just happened, the summary statement, the worship pinnacle that, that we, uh, we pause at today is simply this, we just saw God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us and we have seen His glory. Now this is where it gets sobering, uh, gets real, it gets sad. Uh, 
exhilarating at the same time. It's joy-giving, and yet there's a reverence that comes in these moments as we realize that, that He is with us in these moments. Jesus Christ, obviously present, actively in charge, and He promised that He would be with us through His Holy Spirit that He's given to those who believe in Him. And so as we gather as His family, as His body, He's here in these moments. But there's also a day coming, and I encourage you to just think about in the quiet of your heart sometime later today or this week, there will be a moment you will look into the eyes of your Creator, and you're going to see infinite love, infinite truth, but you're going to see Him. And I know as I think about that reality Three just simple takeaways, fitting responses come. One is believe. Um, That's the message that Jesus came preaching and John gives to us. But if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, believe He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I invite you to, to trust Him today. The second is to become. And as we look at Him, it's as we look at His glory, which is grace and truth, that we become like Him. The beautiful reality to to us, my brother and sister, is God's changing us, you know, into his image. And this is the, the echo through the New Testament that as we glimpse his glory, we are being transformed with an ever increasing glory. But it's as we look at him, as we look at Christ. And then the third is to bow and worship and just, oh, come let us adore him. And so I can think of no better way to start our Christmas celebration than communion. And just to kneel at the cross and to worship him. And we'll have our elders come at this time and they'll begin handing out the elements. And we will uh, move into our time of communion. If you're new to church or things of of, uh, faith in Christ, this is something for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior. I invite you to observe if if you haven't done that yet, but glad that you're here. for those of us who have, just a reminder that the bread is a picture of his, or a symbol of his body that was broken for us. And the juice is a picture or symbol of the, his blood that was poured out for us. And this is a time to, to celebrate what he's done for us. A, a time also to just remember, um, confess those ways that we may not have been following him and ask for his forgiveness. It's a time to look ahead as well and just be filled with hope. He reminded us this was a meal that we share. One day we will share this meal together with him. And what we'll do is uh, uh, take just a couple minutes now while the elements are being handed out to reflect. And I encourage you just to, in the quiet of your heart to, to worship him, to bow before him. And then we will have a prayer, read scripture, and, and eat the elements together. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.